wish nothing but the best for for Mr. Keenan. Wish him a, a, a speedy recovery. But Alex Freakin, he's a he's a he's freaking sport. good. Yeah, he's freaking good. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Tom are on the mics to set up week six. Not one, not two, three, four, five. Tom, we are at week six. How does that feel for you uh, knowing that we've come so far? Here we are. We are in the second half of the season. How are you feeling, my friend? It seems like it just started yesterday and I'm almost sad to see the regular season go, but what an insane regular season we've already seen so far here. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to some more football, man. Yeah, and, and I and I and I know you, Tom, and we'll, we'll keep the, we can keep this on the pod. I don't know if, if if your lady tunes in, but you know you got some exciting stuff going on this weekend. But I, I know you, at the end of the day, OUA football still has your your number your heart uh, front and center. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go through these games as we always do. Um, you know, on on the review pod from week five, uh, Nate and I kind of did a little uh, looking into the future with the remaining schedule. And kind of taking a look at sort of where we think these teams are, where they'll sort of wind up. Tom, obviously, uh, you're as big a part of this team as any one of us, and you're plugged in into in your own ways into these different teams. Um, wanted to give the opportunity, um, sort of off the jump, to maybe do the same exercise, or do you want to wait towards the end after we've kind of gone through the uh, through these games for week uh, six here? Yeah, let's wait till the end of it so we don't spoil what uh, what our picks are at the beginning. You know what? That's yeah, that you would have thought that uh, that would have been obvious to me, too. But that's why I have smart folks like you and uh, you and Nate to uh, help me along. So let's jump into the action and we will start a little diversity in the times of this uh, this week's slate of games. And we start with a noon kickoff from Ottawa. It is Panda 2022. The Carlton Ravens, the Ottawa GGs squaring off in the battle for Pedro. Tom, you know, in in the not to pull the curtain back uh, too much on how we kind of do our thing here, but you were locked in uh, more so than I was for Carlton and Windsor. Um, you know, we've been super bullish on Windsor. We we talked all year long. We we've talked about Carlton being one of these teams that's been uh, a big question mark and all these. You know, despite their success, somehow not, I think, across the board, you, me and Nate still being like, something's just not there. Like, I don't, you know, like so they could just keep they could somehow go on the most ridiculous Yates Cup run. I feel like we'd still be like, is Carlton? Are they are they good, though? Like, I don't I still don't get it. An impressive victory at home. We talked about in setting up the that episode, the piece on it being a one o'clock start. Windsor having to go all the way out there. Um and Ottawa, you know, in a uh, the best, the hands down, the best game from week five, the 55 yard game winning field goal by Campbell Fair against a frisky young uh, Laurier Golden Hawks team. But perhaps, uh, especially for someone like myself who's been very high on the Ottawa GGs, in that first half, I'm like, where are my GGs at right now? So, sort of based on these two things that we've seen last week, Carlton, you know, get a, a, a very definitive win at home though still kind of in the manner they've been all year where it's like <laughs> you, you put up the three score uh, a three touchdown deficit or different differentio in the victory but I'm still kind of like questioning you a bit and Ottawa you know uh, you know picking up a win by the skin of their teeth um, against a, a young Laurier team albeit on Laurier's homecoming Going into this Panda game, um, how do those factor into your mind or are these teams sort of still placed as you may have you know, seen them prior to last week's uh, slate of games? Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting with both of these Ottawa teams. They were kind of the tales of two halves, really. Um, the first half for that Carlton game, that is the best that they have played all season. And when I saw how they played and how they dominated against a Windsor team like that, who, you know, maybe Windsor's middle of the pack. They're maybe not as good as everybody was saying they were, like maybe got top 10, whatever. That is still a decent enough football team. And at no point in time was there ever a doubt that Windsor was in this game. Certainly in that first quarter, Starting off, going down the field, I think it was like a four or five minute drive and ending off with a touchdown. That was really impressive. You saw Tanner DeYoung just do his thing, look confident in the pocket, getting the running game going, getting everything going like that. And at the end of it, it's what, like 17-0 at halftime? 
And then final score is 24 to seven. And so they go down and Windsor goes down and they do a couple of things here and there, but their touchdown drive was all Carlton penalties. I think they had like two or three significant, like 15 yard penalties against them that got them to like the two yard line. And eventually Joey Zorn kind of punched it in because, you know, two yards away with a decent enough running back. And that's pretty much guaranteed. So first half, unbelievable, outstanding. If they play like they did in the first half all year, Carlton's a serious contender. And then that second half, I don't want to say they got lazy by any means, but something happened and they kind of fell off and Windsor was in there and it was just a whole bunch of back and forth. And for the folks who were following us on Twitter, it was very exciting in that first half, you know, uh, tweets constantly and then touchdown, touchdown and nothing until the end of the game because it was just drive, punt, drive, punt, drive, punt for the rest of it. So kind of sputtered out that way, maybe thought they had, they had the game in hand, whatever. And then you look over at Ottawa Laurier comes out of the gate and they start doing their things and Ottawa just struggles to try to find their groove and the rhythm. And then second half starts up and it starts to build and build. And then they have obviously a great fourth quarter and they end up winning the game there. So in the grand scheme of things, I think if you, if you would pick, I, I would rather be a team that comes alive in the second half than falls asleep in the second half. But I think this game against Windsor for Carlton was the first real showing of what they could be, what the potential that they have is. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of translates uh, going forward into, you know, the Panda game, which is arguably their biggest game of the season. Yeah. I mean, going back now a month and change, we've seen them have a game in their first win in their opening game against Mac, where it was a really strong second half um, where they were able to get their offense going um, to pick up that impressive win. Um, and then, as you highlighted, this being kind of the reverse. So, you know, we, we've seen, you know, in the in the aggregate, we've seen a good game of football from the Carlton Ravens. It just happens to be from sort of in a Frankensteinian manner, piecing together a little bit of week one, a little bit of week five, and, you know, some uh, chemical X uh, added into the mix as well. And you mentioned the, the penalties for Carlton and, you know, I only have, uh, you know, I'm not going to dig through um, the stats from from years bygone, um, but that does seem to be, as far as, you know, identities of teams, something that they have struggled with, and it's not any different this year. They, they currently actually lead the league in penalties per game, or pardon me, I think they're, they're, they're second um, to Windsor, ironically. Um, and, 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 you know... <laughs> And the the big thing for me, and this, you know, got me into, um, I don't want to say got me into trouble in ultimately picking Windsor in that game, but it's just, you know, you still look at just how, you know, Carlton's inability to to rush the ball, um, and, and they were able to do so a bit more effectively than they had in, in weeks past, but it's still just, you know, it, it, it's not what you'd expect from, once again, I, maybe I should just stop, maybe if I stop talking about Josh Ferguson, he'll, he'll play he'll play better, um, <laughs> but, you know, there's still towards the bottom of the league and rushing and then on the flip side you know they're still getting rushed on with the best of them um now only being bested so to speak by Guelph and also Waterloo I mean Waterloo obviously got rushed on got you know stampeded on they got rushed on so badly so I mean that piece of it is still tough for me and you know me and Nate kind of talked about it in, in going through the schedule um the rest of the season at the end of the day you know would it would it Absolutely, does it does it completely behoove me to, to to wake up on on Sunday morning and be like, wow, Carlton Ravens picked up a panda win. You know, good for that. No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. But you know what? In the grand scheme of things, when it's just a matter of which team has been more consistent throughout the year uh, on all facets of the ball, and you know, a team in Carlton that's you know, may, whether it's just whatever is going on with how I'm watching this team, but just hasn't seemed to to have that full game. I mean, it's aside from Western, it's rare to, and Queens, it's rare that we get a team play a full, full, you know, four quarters start to finish of just like playing their game, but just a couple quarters here and there. I say all that and saying that for, for me, would it blow me away if Carlton picked up the win? No, but I'm still rolling with the GGs on this one uh, going into Panda. Um, is that is that where you're sticking with on this or do you do you sense a little have the ravens taken flight now <laughs> i think uh i think the ravens have shown that the at the very least they can get out of the nest and flutter up a little bit 
I don't know if they can full on uh, go out and take flight. I think, uh, like you said, that run game just really, I don't, I don't get it. You know, Josh Ferguson really showed some really great things here, but uh, 13 attempts, nine yards. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't make it much sense to me. And, you know, the uh, young doing things that we thought he was going to do. He's a decent quarterback in this league for sure. And he can, he can do some things. You just, you look on the other side of the ball and you got Ben Miracle and he's really been coming into his own and everything else. But JPC McKenda is a monster 23 attempts 147 yards to go along with three catches for 61 yards and obviously a very key touchdown uh yeah that dude is a monster he is very tough to stop and even if you do get a chance to stop him it takes the majority of your defense and then bear miracle goes to work um i think we're gonna see a complete game from carlton and they're gonna kind of show up with the first half and the second half and kind of bringing things together, but Ottawa still comes away with this one. Yeah. And you know what? And obviously you mentioned how um, productive JP has been and we've seen a bit of a breakout year from Amalcar Polk as well, you know, and going back to that Windsor game, your boy, Joey Zorn still in the, the end of the day, put up numbers, but we were able to see, you know, coming off of a week against UFT where it looked like, you know what, this this Windsor team now, like Danny Skelton, like maybe there's something brewing here. Like, is this like, you know, um, the an upset alert, you know, down the pike or whatever? He obviously has to leave the game and just that, you know, no doubt throws the the game plan, so to speak, into shambles for them having to adjust from that. So, uh, yeah, both on the Ottawa GG side of the uh, of the ledger for Panda 2022. Um, so let's move into we have two one o'clock games. We will start with the UFT Blues hitting the road to take on the Waterloo Warriors. UFT coming off a uh, a, a, a very solid victory. At home in the the Red Blue Bowl Battle Toronto Argo Cup Waterloo, you know Tom, did you, like do you want to say anything about that game? Because me and Nate were just clawing for anything. To, I, I, that, yeah, that was that was tough to watch. That was really tough to watch. Yeah, that's that's tough to watch. I think uh, being the optimists that you and I both are, we like to focus on the positives. Uh, credit to the Western offensive line because we don't get a chance to talk about offensive line all that much. You have three different Western running backs with 100 yards rushing. That's 100% on the big boys up front. Now, you know, are they going up against all Canadians? No, but they still carving a path and credit to those running backs as well. It's not like they're just Joe Schmoes in the backfield for sure, but that is an impressive run game. Uh, I'd say the best in the country. And uh, they really they showed it in that game. <laughs> you know, when, when you were saying about us being optimists, I'm like, oh, OK, he's going to say something positive about Waterloo because you don't need to pull for anything positive about the Western performance. And you shout out the offensive line. Yeah, we know Western played well in that game, Tom. For Waterloo, you know, it. this is a team that. Um, on the whole, it is fairly young. Uh, as me and Nate discussed, it's it's frustrating or not frustrating. It's and maybe disappointing is not the word, but you know, it, it seemed like in the early going, yeah, this team maybe they can sneak in for one of those last playoff spots if things go their way. Um, but nonetheless, obviously, coming off the Trey Ford era, if they can get a sense of who their quarterback is going forward, that's huge. And it's now been two weeks in a row with them getting, you know nearly shut out versus Mac and well yeah pretty much nearly shut out in both these games or no were they shut out against Mac they I'm were shut out against Mac one. yeah so having okay so scoring three points in the last two weeks albeit against you know probably the two strongest defenses in the OEA barring you know if Queens is at full strength so to speak and you know Ottawa's in the mix too but it, it's it, the, the the worry and all that is they've had to go from Nolan Caban at the start to now Nick Orr, and that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, especially when these are two young quarterbacks and you're still trying to sort of find your groove. And they're you know they're go to guys at the receiving court and Gordon Lamb and James Basiliga, as we were saying. You know, if this is a Waterloo team that's gonna you know um, get sort of back to um, a sort of competitive team in the next few years under one of those quarterbacks, it's not gonna be with either of those two guys as their go to guy. You know, because I think it's 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 realistic to say it's probably two years or so from now that you know it would take for this team to get on track. So, but you know, I've kind of been on the record always, kind of being you know, I'd prefer 
a team just kind of roll with a guy, you know, at QB, unless it's absolutely atrocious, you know, roll with your guy and just have that continuity and have that uh, building the, that relationship with, you know, the receivers, with the O and all those things. So that was the one thing that's been uh, disappointing. Um, and not to say it's not the right move, and I'm not questioning Burt and his guys at all, but we thought that at the very least in this year, it seemed like Nolan Caban was the guy. Basley is putting up great numbers with this young QB at the helm. And now that's back in question. Um, before we kind of get into this game, sort of, you know, broadly speaking or more specific with the matchup with U of T, does that, you know, give you any concern or d- does that sort of cross your mind when you think about the direction this Waterloo team's going in? No, and I think Nate put it uh, really well when he was talking about it. There's a certain point where you say, you know what? This guy, you know, our quarterback, our second-year guy isn't playing all that well, but this is valuable time. Let's get him in there. Let's get him in live bullets. Uh, This might be a little tough, but, you know, the the experience is going to help him. Three for 10, 17 yards and two picks against a very good Western team, which you're, it's not like he's going to come alive in the in the second half or anything along those lines. I think that at that point, that's the right call. Um, at the very least, you get your other guy Nick Orr, who's also a young quarterback. You get him some live bullets and things, and you know he goes six for fourteen for fifty-one yards. Like, there's not really a, a correct answer here, but I do actually agree in this scenario with the case of pulling your quarterback, kind of stopping the bleeding there, and you know going into things, it's a very different avenue or mindset that both of these teams are coming into this game with right toronto is now coming off of a win against the york team where they've kind of showed hey you know what we can put up some points we can do some great things if we work together as a team they're kind of riding a little bit of a high and they're at the very least optimistic if you're the waterloo warriors you have lost what 106 to three over the past two day, two games something along those lines uh with the mcmaster game and then with the western game you that's a very different mindset to be in right now. So coach Pertoya is going to have to focus on, Hey guys, let's get back up. Let's let's save our season. Let's focus on the, the things that we can control. Let's go forward from there and everything else, but that weighs on a team. So the mindset is, I think Waterloo's biggest hurdle that they're going to need to get over to get into this game, because I don't care who you are. Those are two incredibly tough games to kind of come through and still be optimistic about your season. Yeah, no, I mean it's actually 109 to three, uh, but I, <laughs> and you know the week before that Mac game, we saw a Guelph offense that you know we've been struggling to see do too much on uh, on the offensive side of the ball themselves since put up 41 on them. You know, comparing these two teams, I mean, so obviously that brings to light the fact that you know. Teams have been able to score on Waterloo, to say the least, and 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 U of T at this point in the season, they've kind of settled into like very middle of the pack as far as their offensive production. We've kind of talked about Kinsale kind of coming down a little bit from that just blazing hot start he had, and he, he's obviously a very young quarterback in his own right, and showed some really exciting promise. It, it kind of similar with Caban, where he's got a, a veteran receiving core, a veteran running back in Adam Williams, though we saw him go uh, go out. And of course, Lucas Stoikos was able to fill in immensely well for him. So I, I feel like U of T will be able to put up some yards on them. You know, the question will be really, and, and I'll kind of make this my last point before we can get into our, our, our picks is, you know, you kind of mentioned and talked about, you know, Nate bringing up as well, just the psyche aspect of it for this Waterloo team. Because, you know, they, they put up points on that York team week one. And I'm not, you know, obviously saying York's any great yardstick to have to uh, prove yourself against. And they put up points against a Guelph team. Same thing there, right? But, you know, it, it, we've seen it click. We've seen it do some things against lesser opponents. And, of course, compared to Mac and Western, U of T is. Well, Nate, Nate Hobbs might disagree about the McMaster point. Uh, but, you know, U of T is a lesser opponent. So, can they keep up? Because I think you, have, I, I'm pretty confident UFT will be able to score points on them. Obviously, it'll be easier if Adam Williams is back in the fold for them. But can they bounce back? Can they recognize that, hey, you know what? We were playing against some teams that just truly are out of our league. This is a team that, hey, you know what? We can go to war with. We can battle with. We're back home. And let's make a statement. Having said all that, before I pass it to you, I'm going blues on the road on this one. Uh, where are you leaning, Tom? I am right there with you. 
I think yeah. uh, as this kind of goes on and we've talked about the psyche and everything else and exactly kind of like you said, you know, they beat up on a York team, this Waterloo, uh, the Waterloo Warriors beat up on a York team that week one, starting to feel pretty good about themselves. They know York is, is worse than they are, but they really showed out and they did a good job with that, especially in week one. They get really close to a Guelph team and everybody, including us at the beginning of the season goes, Hey, Guelph's right there. You know, they're, they're a top contender in the OUA Waterloo. They may be legit. They may be whatever else. And then they have that tough game against McMaster. And then you start seeing how Guelph has struggled and then you see, you know, how they struggled against Ottawa. And then you go out and you play against Western and then you, you lose 66 points right there. And then you see Guelph again. And they're demolished by Queens. And so the other game that you are really close with is now a team that's near the bottom of the league rather than the top. And so any of your confidence that you've seen purely from the schedule itself is now completely gone. And you are completely having to rely on now the trust that you have in your other teammates, how you believe in the program and everything else. And sometimes that's very tough to overcome everything else you've kind of seen on the field. So purely on a psyche uh, point here, Toronto has the upper hand. Kinsale Phillip is more established, even though he is a second-year quarterback as well. He's more established as a quarterback than either Nick Orr or Nolan Caban here. And I think the Toronto Blues go into Waterloo and get a dub. Unrelated to this game, but it just kind of came up in your breakdown. How crazy is it to think that if not for that, what was it, six-point victory Guelph had on the road against Waterloo, Guelph wouldn't have won a game all year long. And to make you feel better, Waterloo Warriors fans, because, you know, Tom threw out the 106-3, to and then, of course, me being a bit of a, a, a bastard about it, corrected him and saying that it was 109. I'm going to do some quick mental math here for you. Those Guelph Griffins... Uh, it's 105 points they've given up in the last two weeks. Not great either. They're on the bye, licking their wounds, no doubt. But let's move on to our other 1 o'clock game uh, where we have the Western Mustangs coming off one of those monumental beatdowns, heading into Ron Joyce Stam to take on your McMaster Marauders coming off the bye, coming off their big win against Waterloo, which, you know, we 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 keep obviously sort of recalibrating what we think of these victories based on the new information that we're getting week after week. And, and I remember your, your, your big take on that was that, you know, whatever we want to say about Waterloo as a a sort of yardstick or litmus test or whatever, that they were, they were clicking on all cylinders. And the big thing was that they were protecting Duick and that they were running the ball. Well, now they're facing a whole other type of beast in the Western Mustangs, of course, that, you know, we obviously talk about what they've been able to do running the ball. I mean, like they they didn't. Have, I mean, if they so chose to do so, they could have just handed the ball off every single snap they were on offense and and not thought twice about it. They still have the reigning Vanier Cup MVP at quarterback and a slew of talented players at receiver for them. Um, but also, like, their defense is really solid, and they turn teams over, and they get after the quarterback as well, which is that, you know, been that big, you know, the big elephant in the room for McMaster all year long is the play of that offensive line. And, you know, you know these teams don't like each other, and Western's no doubt going into Ron Joyce wanting to punch Mac in the mouth. Having been part of that Marauder program, having worked and, and played under Coach P and kind of knowing what he can instill in his team with a bye week and and getting them ready. What do you see as the roadmap to victory, if such a roadmap exists, for Mac to pick up what would be a massive, massive win at home against the Purple Ponies? Yeah, if if we're playing hypotheticals here, if if McMaster was to win this game, this would be a season-defining, one of those things that every single player here never forgets kind of a win with how everything else is going. However, that's a big <laughs> ask. I think the way that uh, Coach P is going, kind of going through this game and explaining every, everything to the team is, hey, Western's going to score. They're going to run the ball. They're going to throw. They're going to score. Our defense is going to do everything that they possibly can to limit how much they can do, but they're going to score. Offense, we need to respond. And we, you and I have spoken about this before. 
if Western goes down and gets a touchdown and you a don't come away with any points or B come away with a field goal, that's a loss. You need to respond. You need to do something. If you on a two and out after a Western team has just scored a touchdown, that can almost be a nail in the coffin. You need to have an offense there. If nothing else, even if you don't score on every single drive, you need to be able to flip the field position, pin them back in their own end, give your defense a chance to recover because with any team that strength is rushing, they wear defenses down if they go and they do a 90 yard drive that's 80 yards of rushing and then you do a two and out on offense you're setting up your defense to fail so you need to have production on offense here they've had a bye week going into this game so they're going to be the most prepared that you could possibly be for a western team but this is a huge ask uh at the beginning of the season you and i kind of spoke or i was talking about the uh uh the magic of Ron Joyce uh, that's kind of been debunked a little bit now from this season with the technical forfeit loss to, to York and Ottawa coming in with a close game still. Um, but previously to this year, the McMaster Marauders had only lost to Western and Laurier at home, their score or their schedule. Um, sorry, the standings against Western at home one in five, the Western Mustangs have is the only team that has had McMaster's number in Hamilton since the built the building of Ron Joy Stadium. McMaster actually has a better stat uh, schedule or standing playing in London. They've had four victories there, including two Yates Cups. So the Purple Ponies have been owning the Marauders here, and that's tough because they owned me as well uh, <laughs> in Hamilton. And uh, this is going to be a very tough game for these Marauders. Well, you know, in a, if it makes you feel well, I was part of some Guelph Griffins teams. If, you know, folks, let's go to the way back machine. Back when Guelph Griffins teams, you know, went seven and one and and were competing for Yates Cups, um, we did pretty well against Western. But then you and your Marauders did really well against us. So, you know, by sort of the transient property, even though I think that's a flawed, logical uh, method of thinking about it, you did well against Western by virtue of doing well against us. So I'll give you, I'll give you some credit on that one. <laughs> you know, going, going into the numbers in specific, you know, and, and you know, you, you raise a, you know, a great point. I feel like we're always kind of talking about that as being the... the the way you have to play Western if, if it's ever possible to, to do so, you know, but just going back to, you know, in mentioning about their, their, the defense and them turning the ball over. I mean, they're tied for first in sacks at 13 with, with both Queens and Carlton. They're tied on, on intercepting uh, opposing quarterbacks at seven, also with Queens shout out to the golden Gales, um, you know, and so it's just, it's that much more pressure on, on the other, on that once again, on offensive line and on Duick who, you know, I take nothing away from him. He's he's the the leader in the OUA in passing yards, but he's throwing it a lot, right? And so that's a lot of opportunities then for that Western team to turn the ball over. And you know, as you were kind of mentioning, when you can grind out a defense like that, and then if you're able to get a turn get turnovers, and then just keep that defense on the field and keep you know pound it down um, the middle against them, man. It's not hard to see this game going sideways quickly, um, or at least seeing Western doing what Western does. Um, I'm taking Western on the road in this one. Tom. Yeah, it's the ponies. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Mac, you know, sh- ho- hopefully, you know, we can see, um, you know, kind of like maybe we did against in the Queens game when Queens came into, into London and was able to, you know, trade some punches with them in the early going. And, um, you know, they, they were still able to effectively run the ball, which is obviously what Queens does best. So if Matt can still show that, you know, their, their passing attack can be effective against Western, I think that'll be a huge point of emphasis for them. Um, and, and they've had one of the better defenses in the league, but, you know. They ain't faced nothing like this yet. Uh, so let's move on now to our three o'clock game uh, where we see the Queens Golden Gales coming home after the uh, the beatdown against Guelph to take on the York Lions, having lost, of course, at U of T in the Battle of Toronto. Let's let's start from, you know, where me and Nate started in the conversation about that Guelph Queens game. And it's, it's of course, it's James Keenan uh, having left that game 
with a, a full leg brace of some sort with crutches, you know, devastating to the uh, the Golden Gales community to see that. And, you know, obviously, at least I haven't got an update on what that means or what that status is going to be, you know, in a... Once again, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean to, to York or nothing like that, but in a in a in a a pleasant, if you will, turn of events, they get York, they get the bye week. So in many ways, you know, they don't need, they literally don't need James come week seven. And frankly, in the same way that I was saying that Western could have just handed the ball off every single time and beat Waterloo, if Queen so chooses to do so, they can just hand it off to all those incredible running backs they have and beat York at home no one's going to question that um, obviously Vrenik whether it's the rest of this season if Keenan's injury is um, you, you know going to keep him out of the game which you know obviously well I won't say everyone uh, who watching OUA football but everyone who's somewhat you know like ourselves kind of just rooting for good football no one wants to see that I mean regardless of whether you're a Western fan or or a Guelph fan no one wants to see players get injured obviously but you know there could be that silver lining of seeing this young quarterback getting some good game reps knowing that regardless of whether Keenan comes back next year it's Vrenix team all the way so getting a bit of the early um preview of what that could look like um we've talked about York as kind of being this litmus test what they can bring defensively and kind of cause a lot of ruckus I mean that obviously is not going to be an, no one's worried about that as an issue for Queens in this one what are your thoughts whether it's a, on this whether it's a matter of James Keenan we didn't you know obviously didn't get to get your thoughts after last week's games on that, um, seeing Vrenik, what York might be able to do to cause some issues or any way you want to approach this matchup. Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, kind of exactly like you said, you never want to see an injury ever to anybody uh, because obviously you want to see the best quality game and everything else. But having an injury against the Guelph team and then having York right afterwards in a bye, kind of have two weeks off Really, because realistically, even if Keenan is in playing against York, they're pulling him in the at the end of the first half. So I'm hoping that uh, James's injury is not nearly as bad as what we've seen. What, what I will say is that, you know, we saw him cast it up on the sidelines after the Guelph game or during the Guelph game there. But. It's not a true cast because they, they don't obviously cast right on the on the field that's there. And when they showed the angle on the, the Griff TV that was there, they did it relatively quickly. But I thought I saw a bunch of ice packs kind of wrapped up in his leg there rather than like an actual splint to keep his leg. So I'm hoping that, you know, it was something that's a bad tweak or something along those lines. And Coach Snyder just said, you know what, you're done. Uh, we don't want to risk you. We're done. So I'm hoping and I'm praying for that. Um, wish nothing but the best for for Mr. Keenan. Wish him a, a, a speedy recovery. But Alex freaking, he's a he's a he's U freaking sport. good. Yeah, he's freaking good. <laughs> he is a U sports quality starting quarterback in this league for sure. And he's a young guy. What is he in his first or second year? Um, second, I believe. Second year goes up against the Guelph team who. You know, like we said, has had their own list of struggles and everything else. 10 for 15, 192 yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty good for coming into a game that you weren't planning on starting, you know. So I think the kid's got a lot of um, a lot of potential there for sure. He's definitely going to be the next great Queens quarterback to kind of come through. And um, my God, you're recruiting there, having Nate Hobbs and James Keenan and then freaking Alex Vreekin that's – it's some pretty stud, uh, studly quarterbacks kind of coming through that program there. But, um, you know, any potential questions that you may have for him, you just have to look back to the, the rushing attack. Anthony Souls, 19 carries, 244 yards and four touchdowns. That is insane. That man could have carried that Queens team to a victory on his own. Didn't really need to because of the score and everything, like we obviously said. But I think this Queens team is just fine. They're in a great position here. They can lean on their amazing run game, get Alex some really key reps against a team that is not on their level, quite honestly, and continue to build them up and build Vreekin's confidence up so that if this injury to James Keenan is a lot worse than what we've hoped for, that he gets some valuable reps before really getting into the playoffs. Yeah, 
I, I, I'm listening to everything you're saying, Tom, 100%. I, I'm in agreement. I just I, I spaced out for a second because I'm just trying to think of something interesting to say on the York side of things here. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I got one. Um, so, I mean, hey, it's in, a th- it's in the 3 o'clock window, so all eyes will be on you. Um, at least, you know, come maybe the second quarter when the 1 o'clock games uh, wrap up. So... You know, you know, maybe keep it close if you can. But uh, yeah, this is uh, really the question is, you know, what's the status of Queens um, Queens team? Because, you know, I I, I mean, I'm obviously I've, I've, I've staked my claim on Gigi's Mountain with them kind of being my my, you know, my foster team, if you will. But I, you know, Queens, if we're looking at a team that can give a give Western a shot, it's going to be in that rematch. And we saw them do some positive things, as kind of alluded to, um, talking about Western and Mac um, with that run game. And, you know, uh, man, oh, man, uh, to think of, uh, you know, freaking good or otherwise to, to think of them having to go back to London in a Yates Cup matchup with a first time starter. Um Man, that's that's a bummer. Just as an OUA fan, um, so yeah, you, you hit it on the head just with uh, you know with everything, and you know all the best, all the best for Keenan and uh, to the Golden Gales. You know, hey, that's it. That you know we talk about Carlton kind of being the the penalized team this year. Y'all have been the injured team, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to say about that. But let's move on to our final game of the evening. It is the uh, Laurier Golden Hawks coming off a uh, tight homecoming loss at the hands of the Ottawa Gigi's, uh, hitting the road to take on the Windsor Lancers off of a uh, we'll call it a disappointing loss, I suppose, uh, at Carlton last week, 7 p.m. start because the the, the folks at Windsor. Um, I guess are more gracious to people traveling to their to their games than maybe the schedule makers at Carlton or the OUA or wherever. I should be laying the blame uh, whose whose feet I should be laying that blame at. Um, my, you know, we talked about how how you know exciting it's been watching Windsor um, in, in the early going of, of the season, and we've kind of had to recalibrate what we thought about some of those matchups. Shouldn't be forgotten though that first game against Ottawa was super tight against a, a team that, you know, many of us uh, are, are, are very high on. Um, but at this point in the season, I, I do feel like these teams, though perhaps close in a lot of people's minds, are kind of moving in different directions. What are your takes on sort of where these teams are stacked up on? Obviously, we always talk about that mystique of going to Windsor. And playing in the shadow of the golden arches and everything like that. Um, but what's your sort of first impression of thinking about these two teams uh, and then with them matching up at night on Saturday? Yeah, I think something that's not really talked about nearly as, as often as I think it should be is playing in uh, Waterloo against the Laurier Golden Hawks. Something about that stadium, man, you just... Laurier seems to have a little bit of an extra edge there. They seem to have the mystique of the old stands, even though when you're walking underneath them, it seems like the stands are going to collapse around you because that wood is really old. Um, But a Laurier team, and you know, exactly like you kind of said, a Laurier team that seems to be getting better and better and better as this season kind of goes on. And a Windsor team that almost seems like it peaked in the first half and is almost on a downward decline here where we haven't, you know, that Carlton game was, was tough. We didn't see, I, I really didn't see a whole lot of great things for them. And it doesn't help that Danny Skelton, their uh, breakout star quarterback. Well, I say star, a clear starting quarterback at the very least for Windsor goes down with an injury and Josh Sims comes in there and credit to Josh Sims, that dude, you can tell wants to win, wants to do anything that he can. He was, you know, anytime he didn't see anything, he was tucking the ball, trying to run, trying to make anything happen, but it just wasn't happening for the poor kid. You know, he uh, he goes off and he <laughs> comes into the game for Danny Skelton and he's not doing so great. What is he? Fin- he finishes six for 20 for 47 yards and an interception. Like you don't have any uh, passing attack. And, you know, you look at the stats and you say, oh, Joey Zorn had 104 yards and a, and a touchdown. Well, in the first half, he had like in the first quarter, at the very least, he had like 15 yards rushing, something along those lines. So it took a while for this Windsor team to just show kind of any signs of life and had to get helped out by a Carlton team who had 16 penalties 
for something like 160 yards or something along those lines. And then you look at a Windsor team that also had 16 penalties for 150 yards. So it wasn't the cleanest game at the very least. And uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly a tale of, of two teams here. However, you know, like you and I have been saying, there's something about that, those McDonald's arches in that, in that Windsor stadium, it gives them a little bit of extra life, but uh, I don't know. The trajectory of these teams is something to, to certainly note. Yeah. You know, I, I'd say the, 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 the sort of main kind of um, narrative, I guess, of this team, of, of this game, um, however you think these two squads are kind of moving is that, you know, this should be a, uh, you think this will be kind of a grind them out one in the trenches type battle. I mean, Joey Zorn um, has obviously had a, a stellar year for himself, but Quentin Scott, man, uh, you know, what a, and and Tanner Nelms as well, um, you know, really staking their claim as one of and and and, and Christopher John as well for Windsor. So in many ways, two teams with a really good sort of two-headed beast. Um, but you know, clearly my excitement there was leaning towards what we've been able to see out of um, Scott and Nelms. And so I think that's the that's the sort of obvious piece to jump out as far as you know. Oh yeah, these two teams are going to want to run the ball. Um, you know, chew up the clock, all those things. And you mentioned Danny Skelton. You, you mentioned Sim coming in to sort of middling success. Taylor freaking Elgersma. We, you know, <laughs> we being the one of the main media uh, outlets, <laughs> one of the only in this league, I've done a disservice in perhaps not talking about him as much as we have. Is he, uh, you know, as fun a name to talk about necessarily as Evan Hillocks, James Keen, Ben Maracle, based on, you know, how that Ottawa team's been looking, Jake Helfrich, given the, you know, ooh, is this the savior for Guelph? Oh, okay, maybe not so much. The 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 Kinsel Phillips, his rise, Nolan Caban. And of course, Duick and Diong being kind of the elder statesman quarterbacks that have been doing their thing on, on teams that are not quite at that level uh, of you know the the Western Queens of the world, but just been you know doing their thing all year long, top of the leaderboards. We know who's right behind both those two gentlemen in yards per game. It's Taylor Algersma. He's averaging a really really healthy 211 yards per game. Six TDs, the four interceptions. You'd like to see that ratio get cleaned up a little bit, but you know what? He's he's a tough kid. He doesn't mind tucking the ball away, and you know he's he's got that sort of I don't know that kind of here comes the the, the football jargon, the kind of bit of that moxie uh, where you just you know you look at him and you're like, yeah, this this you know he doesn't look out of place when we see him out there, um, and he's obviously had success with a number of of receivers out there too. You know the Ben McAlpines, Ethan Jordan being able to kind of spread around Nick, Nick, Nick Peterman. Um, so you know I, I think once again the rushing component is is really what, uh, the the most obvious thing, but I'm just really excited just another week of seeing how Elgersma can come into his own and just establish sort of what it means to watch a, a Laurie Goldhawks game on offense that's a bit more well rounded than just pound the ball, pound the ball, pound the ball, have a a, a, a relentless attacking defense that's going to slow up your your opposition. What are your thoughts on young Mr. Elgersma? Yeah, I think. We like you said, we haven't really brought it up all that much, but the Laurier offense is incredibly well rounded. You know, you've got Quinton Scott, who's a really solid running back, and Taylor uh, Nelms for sure, or sorry, Tanner Nelms, but Taylor Elgersma has been almost quietly just doing enough and uh, putting Laurier in great positions to win games. You know, finishes the game against Ottawa 19 for 27, 242 yards, one touchdown, one pick, but you know, puts his team at the very least in a, in a position to win that football game and does really great jobs in, in terms of just making sure that the ball gets spread around, you know, Ethan Jordan being his favorite target on that game. But you still have, you know, uh, Raiden Thorne, who's got five catches, Nick Peterman with two, Taylor, Tanner Nelms with two. Um, so they're spreading the ball around. They're making sure that they're not like just favoring one receiver and just I don't know. I really like what I've been seeing from this Laurier team. I think they've got a really good rhythm going into here. And sure, they lost a close one to Ottawa, but Ottawa has shown that they are one of the top teams in the OUA this year. 
And to be that close to them and just to essentially lose on a, a 55 yard field goal, which shout out at the 55. Uh, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> I think, uh, I think this Laurier team is, is starting to come into its own at a really great time here, uh, which is fantastic because, you know, like we kind of talked about Laurier already had their bye week at week one here. And so a lot of teams will try to get through that first part of the season, get their bye, kind of reset and then get back into the second half of the season. But they've started off and they started a tough game against Western, got a couple of wins, lost a close one to Ottawa, but feel and I, I think that confidence is there that they should be in one of the upper echelons of the OUA, you know, maybe not obviously at the top, but at the very least, they're above 500. And so having that mentality and that philosophy going into this game is going to be huge. And uh, I'm going to kick us off this time. I'm going with the Golden Hawks in Windsor. You know, I'm, and and we'll 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 transition off of this game into kind of giving you the opportunity to to sort of do the exercise that me and Nate did, and this was the game that really divided Nate and I because Nate was was rather bullish that this was going to be a Golden Hawks victory, and I was you know I needed to sort of let let some things still simmer, let kind of the last weekend's events kind of just like come to come to a rest in my head, but I'm right there with you. I think the Golden Hawks are on the road, and I keep going back to that drive they had to set up the Tanner Nelms touchdown in the first half where it started off with a, a really nice Quentin Scott run where what looked like an outside zone play to the left, he cuts it back, ends up picking up, you know, 16 to 20 yards, probably runs about 40 yards just to get that. Then it's it's Elgar's mud to Jordan, I believe, for a nice big hitter down the sideline. And then they wrap it up with a screen pass to Nelms who takes it in for about 20 or so yards. And as you mentioned, that well-rounded nature of that offensive meal to hit you on a number of levels of the game. Um it's really impressive, and yeah, that you know, Windsor's is feeling a bit shaky right now. So I'm right with you, Golden Hawks um, on the road in this one. Uh, I believe that puts us in lockstep again in all these games. Uh, but you know, n- nonetheless, just knowing the the team that we have picking games week to week, when you see the post that goes up on Instagram, knowing some of the folks that we have uh, picking games, I know that some folks will disagree with our selections. Um, so that's uh. That's our run through of the games for this weekend. Tom, are, are, are you ready to sort of give your sort of post midseason projections on sort of how you see the final standings shaking out? Yeah, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll kind of speed round this. And I don't want to dive into too much detail because obviously lots of things can happen with either injuries or showing or whatever else. But um, just I think the top and the bottom is pretty much settled. You know, the, the, those York Lions are definitely going to be at the bottom of the league come, come everything in the Western Mustangs at the top. Quick, I need to ask a quick question. How many 1-7 teams do you see finishing Ooh. this year? I see two. Okay. I saw three. You saw three? <laughs> Ooh. Anyway. Yeah. Proceed however you wish to. <laughs> well, we just ended off with uh, with uh, Laurier and Windsor. So I'll start off with Laurier. Um, next week, getting into the Battle of Waterloo, I think uh, everything that we've kind of seen from Waterloo, I think that's that's an easy dub kind of going through things here. Um, they go up against the Guelph team in Laurier, and unless we see a miraculous kind of turnaround, I think they get a dub there as well. Uh, the last game against Queens is actually – going to be interesting for me not to say that i think queens is the better team for sure but depending on how the actual uh standings kind of shake out i've seen in the past where there's some teams you know hey we've got first place or we got second place locked up um so we'll we'll focus on doing some good things in the first half maybe first quarter and then pull our guys get some get some reps in there doesn't really matter get get some extra rest so i'd be interested to see how that kind of plays out because I do see Queens finishing in that number two spot. Now in previous that number one and two mentality there has always been because there's a buy, you know, Hey, we've got the buy that's upcoming. So let's get these guys, you know, let's get them some reps here. Let's get our starters out. And then we'll have uh, the second half of this game as off. Then we'll have a bye week going into it and everything else. I'm interested to see if the, if Coach Schneider wants to take that route, or if he's going to be looking at no, we we need to fight here. We need to have that seven and one record to really lock up second place and kind of go forward from there. Um, so, 
I'm uh, I'm interested to see that. I think if Queens is going all out and all out, uh, Laurie finishes four and four. I think that's kind of fair to say from that route. But I'd be interested to see how everything kind of plays out in that regard. You got something to say, Zach? I do, and I'm not. Did you four and four or five and three for Laurier? So they're because at, I, they're at two and two right now, right? Yeah, and so we're saying a, a, a dub at Windsor, a dub against Waterloo, right, a, dub at, a dub at Windsor. Sorry, I forgot to mention that in five and, and the, three. They finished five and three. Five and three, and so the the the, the gears that are kind of turning, the thoughts that are percolating in my head. You kind of mentioned, and Nate and I talked about that too. And I give Nate credit for highlighting that Queens game as being possibly interesting based on all the things that you were mentioning but you know the piece on second place not necessarily having that by makes it all the more interesting and how does you know schneider and and that brain trust want to play but you know assuming ottawa stays the course and if we have going into that game laurier at five and two and queens at six and one there's a possibility that the season wraps up with the undefeated Western team in first, but then Queens, Ottawa, Laurier all sit at six and two, where Ottawa would have beat Laurier. Laurier in this situation would have beat Queens, and Queens would have beat Ottawa, and then we get into all the other crazy tiebreak situations that I'm gonna have to review manically when we get down to that because it's just it's a it's a it's a yearly activity I have to do in figuring out. And reminding myself on all the tiebreak scenarios, but that's just that's incredible to think that that could be how we end up with those three teams um, at, at sort of that two through four slot there. So that was just the one thing when you were mentioning, that, I'm like, holy cats, we, <laughs> the Gold Locks could go six. Oh my goodness. Anyways, um, if that's all you have, I, I want to say as far as the predictions, that's beautiful. Um, Tom, you know, obviously this will be the, the last chance I got to say so on the pod, um, uh, to you, uh, before your big weekend, but once again, congratulations, um, to you, uh, you know, once again, Tom is getting married on, on, on Panda day of all days, you know, um, not that that's of course you as a marauder and having your Guelph connections as well as necessarily the most salient, but you are an OUA football man through and through. And so obviously that game is of importance, but once again, Tom, uh, Mazel Tov, all the best to you and your, uh, your now expanding family. So, uh, much love to you. Um, any last words, the last time these folks will hear you as, as Tom Sterling, the, uh, you know, bachelor extraordinaire. <laughs> I appreciate that, Zach, but you and I both know as offensive linemen, we're not exactly bachelors out here uh <laughs> yeah i i appreciate that and uh quite honestly i appreciate this amazing uh oua football community uh when you mentioned that the first time i had a few people reach out to me and say congratulations from the pod so i do appreciate everybody who listens there and reaches out um it's one of the the coolest kind of communities ever and just being able to interact with folks who also care about oua it's it's just awesome in that regard but um this is going to be a really great uh week of OUA football. I'm really hoping to see some really uh, a lot closer games and uh, to see some excitement from there. I will certainly catch the replays maybe on a Sunday or something along those lines. Can't catch anything on Saturday or else I might not be getting married. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to another great week. Oh, beautiful. Well, uh, we'll make sure to be keeping you all updated as best we can on the tweets. Uh, maybe you can be cell phone pull out twitter and the pocket just to stay abreast to everything going on in the oua but that'll do it for tom and i this week have a great panda weekend to you all uh to all you beautiful people tuning into oua football weekend and week out and nate, uh, nate and i will talk to you on monday at the 55